This podcast contains general health information and shouldn't be relied on as medical advice. If you have any health concerns, speak to your doctor. HCF doesn't endorse any statements or opinions made during the podcast. If the podcast makes you feel depressed or anxious and you need to talk to someone straight away, call Lifeline on 131114. It is okay to fail because you can always just try again and one of the best ways to learn is from your mistakes. When you get it, you feel even more excited. Failing is a part of learning. Like, it's still learning. You can reflect back on, it can help you in the future. And you need to make mistakes to be able to learn. Because if you fail once, then you're more likely to succeed next time. Welcome back to Navigating Parenthood, Growing Great Tweens. Brought to you by HCF, Australia's largest not-for-profit health fund. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis. Hello. As young children move into the tween years and birthdays start flying by, our hope as parents is that our children will become more confident in their skin and begin to explore and define their place in the wider world. We want to instill in our kids the strength and grit to get back up again when they get knocked down, metaphorically and literally. But of course, there's more to building resilience than, you're okay, bud, and a pat on the head. So how do we go about teaching and growing our children to be adaptable to the complexities and challenges of what's to come? And how do we deal with life's ups and downs without having us by their side all the time? We're going to find out as I chat mental well-being and resilience with two legends that do it on the daily. With me on this episode is swimming legend OAM and mum of three, Susie Maroney. Who swam the English Channel at just 15 years old? I don't know about you, but I was sitting in my PJs playing Sega when I was 15. <laughs> Sega. And mum of three, personal trainer and also a legend, Lauren Patterson. Lauren, Susie, g'day. Hi, how are Hello. you? Hello. <laughs> Mental health. Resilience. Words we hear a lot more these days compared to when I was a tween. What about you, Lauren? What do you think mental health and resilience means to tweens these days? Well, my story with mental health began when I was a teenager. So now that I'm a mum, I kind of look at my kids and go, gosh, I I would never want to put you through the things that I went through as a teenager. So I think I'm incredibly weary about what the kids are going through and, and make sure that we're giving them the tools from the, the get-go and the early stages so they can, I guess, try and prevent and possibly avoid the situations, you know, that we went through as kids and and the world is a little bit more of a challenging place now. So it's incredibly important to equip them with the right tools to really handle life, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. What about the ability to adapt? I guess that kind of comes under the resilience banner, doesn't it? Do you think being adaptable and flexible is also important for your kids' long-term mental well-being? Yeah, I think so. I mean, when I, I look back at 
when I was growing up and I had no flexibility. It was all six hours of swimming every day, Saturday, six hours swimming up and down the pool, crying through my goggles. And yeah, there was no flexibility to say I'm tired. I think these days, in a way, though, it is a little bit softer. We do listen to our children more and I would love my children to swim more, but I can only get them to the pool like three days a week. So I think we did respect adults a lot when we were growing up, whereas these days they're kind of like our best friend, which sometimes is nice, but, you know, I would like to be in control sometimes. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) You said only three times a week? Yes. Oh, a yeah. lot more than your average family. <laughs> no, no, I think you're doing well, Susie. <laughs> what, do, what do you think, Lauren? Uh, the ability to adapt, that, that, that flexibility, is this important for, for the kids and their long-term mental well-being? Well, I'm one of those quote mums. There's always a quote for every situation. <laughs> <laughs> and my kids have heard this one a million times because I've had to deal with it, is that uh, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you handle it. So being adaptable, I think, is that quote in a nutshell. <laughs> and the kids have just got to take it as it comes. And I, I like to be my kids' best friend also, mm. but I'm also a bit of a, a hard ass on them as well when it's things that they really need to learn from, especially different situations. I'm not going to cuddle them, uh, you know, I'll cuddle them at the end, but generally I, I want them to be able to learn from each situation that they go through. So being adaptable, gosh, they're not going to get through life unless they are. <laughs> yeah. it's um, I'm noticing it in my life as well. We've, we've moved house so many times. The kids have changed schools you know, even living through lockdowns in Melbourne. So I'm constantly reminded of how chilled the kids can be in all of these really crazy things going on all the time where they get uprooted (laughs) and then they have to just be okay with it. They're much more chilled than me, in fact. They remind me it's possible to roll with it and focus on the bigger picture to keep it all, I guess, relative, you know, that moving house and having a house full of boxes, that's not the worst thing in the world. We're moving house. That's a great thing. We've got a house. That's a great thing. So I think sometimes I learn from my own kids, even though they're nine and 13. (laughs) Have you learned any resilience tactics from your children that you might use yourselves? With my children too, they'll come out of the blue with something like, you know, I'll be stressed. Then all of a sudden my little river will say to me, mum, it's okay or don't worry about that. And I just look at him and think, you're so right. Like they can calm you down in an instant. Like when you're stressed as a parent and you've got the three children and they're just, you feel like you can't cope. But they do teach us something, you know, sometimes to relax, sit down on the couch maybe together and watch a TV show that you don't have to think too much. And yeah, we can learn from our children when we stress about those things like the bills, the leaky window, and then they'll just say something completely different. Like, mum, do you want to just have a cup of coffee? Because they know that a cup of coffee makes me happy. And I'll be like, oh, that is so nice. (laughs) uh, So I've got nice children. So we're doing something right. We're doing something right. That's good to remember, (laughs) isn't it? This is exactly my house last night, Susie. I, I got home. The cat's a bit distressed because we've moved house and so I haven't got leaky windows. I've got a leaky cat and the cat's just leaking everywhere and so I'm like, oh, my God, I've just got to to do normal life and clean up cat wee. What are we going to do? Oh, my God, we haven't even had dinner yet. My daughter goes, Dad, we're having a TV dinner tonight. We're going to watch Doctor Who and I'm like, oh, I love that. 
That is so Thank you, wise 13-year-old. Yes, <laughs> you get it. Just putting it back in perspective. Yep. Doesn't matter. Let's have a nice time. Yeah. Like you say, just watch something and not think about no. Cat Wee for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Lauren, what about you? Are you picking up some tips from the young'uns? Oh, gosh, you know what? I totally agree with you guys. They yeah. teach you how to stop. It just last night alone, I was feeling sick as a dog and yeah. I needed my partner to get home. He did the school run for me, thank golly. As soon as he walked in the door, I gave him the baby and the other kids were home and I was like, I'm off for a bath. And Maddie's like, good mum, I think you really, really need one. And like you guys said, they appreciate rest because they get to have it in their young lives, I guess. And you don't need to constantly doing something or constantly be spending money on them. They're happy to go to the park or they're happy to just sit down with you because you're always rushing around in life. So I, oh, you know, yeah. I couldn't agree with you guys more. Their innocent little minds don't know what the adult life of rushing around and feeling like you always have to be busy because they need rest. We encourage them to have rest. And why don't we encourage ourselves to do the same? And those little kids... Their minds aren't little. <laughs> Their minds are huge. That's so true. Yeah, <laughs> that's so true, isn't it? And not just a reminder to rest as well. It's a reminder to just be present sometimes mm. with the kids, even though we've got yeah. millions of things going on. They're the ones that go, let's go. This is my <laughs> time now. I need time with you. And it's like you go, oh, I'm so sorry. I haven't even looked you in the eye yeah. since I've been home because I've been rushing around, <laughs> cross-eyed, going crazy. Thank you. Thank you, beautiful kids. So how do you help your tweens become mentally strong? Are there certain practices that you use to help instill it from a, a young age? I think when we look at it, every child is different. And I have a 13-year-old that's going through all these growing up stages. And we've got to just realize that some children are super sensitive and some children aren't. Like my middle child, Capri, isn't as sensitive as Paris. So I have to work out how you kind of communicate with children that are in your same family, but completely different characters. And the way you have to work with it is just trial and error. You either get screamed at sometimes or you're the best <laughs> mum in the world. And I think that's just life. It's every day is different. Every day is different and every human is different. That's you, There's no, if we had a good rule book that just said, oh, just do this, yes. these things for, with each of your kids, everything will be fine for their mental health. But no, that's such an important point, Susie, that... Yeah, the kids are different. They're oh, different yeah. human beings with different personalities, different needs, and it is about us, I guess, learning on the job as parents a lot of the time and reading the situation, reading the room, reading yes, the kids. That's so and true. then I guess we've I guess we've got toolboxes that we draw from and we try different things mm. and when something works, I guess we stick with that yeah. until it doesn't work. Then that's we try the next thing in our toolbox. Exactly. Lauren, what about you? With Maddie and Max, Maxie's turning eight soon. I get taught that they're nearly an age, not yeah. the age that they actually are. And Maddie is nearly 10. So 10 in their world, like when I was 10, thought I was a teenager, I ruled the world. <laughs> so I'm learning a lot as we get towards that age and dealing with different relationships with her and her friends at school. Seven-year-old boys don't really care about too much unless it's Lego or, <laughs> you know, the newest toy at school. That You know, Max is pretty chill and I think there's a really gentle, vulnerable side to him, but he's not a big talker when things do go on. And Maddie is a talker. She's also a little bit of a writer. Whenever she's had a little bit of a challenge, she likes to write letters. I guess a little bit like me with my writing and my blog, that's how I kind of get things out of my system. 
one big thing that we have done in our home and at their dad's home as well is leaving the conversation completely open so they can talk about anything at any time. It doesn't matter what it is, as long as they feel completely comfortable to be open about any feelings that they might have, especially now that they're in school, like it gets pretty hectic as I found out with 10-year-old girls in year four. But yeah, as long as they feel that they can be vulnerable with the people that they trust the most and, you know, even their teachers at school, just knowing that they can talk. I've learned over my years as well, which is many now, if you are vulnerable, it might be scary, but it also helps you get stronger when you're doing it. So if I instill in the kids that the more you talk about anything, you will become more empowered and comfortable talking about those situations. So that's one really big thing we've instilled in this house. So powerful and important, isn't it? Giving them a safe mm-hmm. place to know that they can say the things that they've got you to say the things they might not be able to say to other people. And also I think it's really valuable. I'm glad you brought it up that different kids are going to have different ways to express themselves. If, some, if they're a good talker, great, easy, talk, <laughs> done. But if they're not so much a great talker, writing, writing down feelings, blogging, diaries, scrapbooking, mm-hmm. anything that can get it out of their head and onto something else, what a wonderful place to start. And then knowing that yeah. they've, they're safe in your place, in your home, to be able to to speak about the things that maybe you can't speak about with your friends or you don't want to speak about it with your siblings or really important stuff. Susie, can we please take a swim down memory lane for a little bit here? A swim. <laughs> I know, I like um, that. Love- <laughs> can you please tell us about the mental strength that you used on swims, these incredible swims that you do, like the English Channel and your record 197 kilometer swim from Mexico to Cuba swimming for 38 hours and 33 minutes. I mean, that's a lot of mental strength. I mean, those swims were the toughest that I've gone through and there was a lot of training. So, you know, I trained six hours a day since I was 12 years old and was in a a swimming club before that. So mentally I prepared myself with hard work, uh, you know, I remember falling asleep at school and just being happy to be at school because I wasn't in the water. With those swims, when I was in Havana and looking out to sea and thinking, you know, I can't even see in the Cuba to America swim, I can't even see land. So I was mm. scared and thought, you know, I'm going to be at least in the water for 40 hours. But I really was good at taking one hour at a time. So mentally I'd say, okay, just do one hour. And I did a 24-hour swim Guinness Book of Records before I left. So I thought, don't cry until 24 hours and then you can cry because you've never gone past 24 hours. So mentally I had all these listening to, I was thinking about Seinfeld episodes to keep me happy. (laughs) I was singing Madonna songs, you know. But then, you know, during the night, there was all these waves that made me seasick. So I was vomiting and it was like out of the movie of Cape Fear. It was like, really, I was looking at my mum on the boat, I remember, and thinking, mum, surely she's going to get me out of the water like it's lightning and the boat's swaying. (laughs) But no, I guess they knew I trained so hard and that I could finish the swim. But yeah, my mind must have played so many tricks on myself. Like I, I was hallucinating a bit, but I mean, out of that, 
hard work, you know, was able to meet Fidel Castro and have dinner with him and those types of experiences. I can still take with me with my children, like maybe when my teenager is yelling at me, I think, come on, you've spoken to Fidel Castro, surely you can, surely you can control a 13-year-old. Yeah, I might look back sometimes on those swimming days and how tough I was, but parenthood is a hundred times harder because it's emotional. It's really tough. <laughs> so yeah, I look back and think, I try and remember I'm strong, but sometimes I'm not at all. I don't think I've ever talked to anyone stronger. <laughs> I can't I can't even fathom <laughs> what you've just spoken about. It does sound a little bit like you taught yourself some mental strengthening techniques yeah. you you were the one who decided I'm going to think about Seinfeld or yes sing Madonna while I'm swimming in along also the fact that you were training six hours a day I guess that just hammered into mm. you there's some kind of thing that you've found that you can draw on but when you break it down to you're going to be in the water for 40 hours that's 40 times you've got to do an hour these are real amazing tools that I'm imagining you can take through life I'm imagining that these are the kinds of things that you can then apply in parenting which for some yeah. reason you think is harder than swimming for 40 yeah. hours. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And I think giving yourself a little treat as well. Like when I look back, I think I got through the hour because after every hour, you know, I got, I mean, it was on a stick with Gatorade at the end or, you know, a little Vegemite sandwich. But I was so excited to stop Treadwater and have a little cupcake or Gatorade. And I think maybe we've got to remember sometimes when we're out and we're not feeling that good, maybe buy yourself that little smoothie and nice sandwich. Treat ourselves as adults because we do deserve it. Yeah. Little rewards. Little rewards. Little rewards. Do you give your, your kids sometimes just a cake on a stick? <laughs> Yeah, and, and a, so, a soggy Vegemite sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> um, Susie, you, you train young children now in swimming, yes. obviously. Yes. Do you teach them some of these techniques that you used or are they different? I just love it. I love it when they can reach the end of the pool or their stroke is a little bit better. But it's so nice to be able to teach children to swim. I'd always say you're a good swimmer. Remember, I'm coaching you and you're a good swimmer and you come every week. I just positive, positive feedback for these little children because I don't want them to stop swimming when they're older. Absolutely. I wish you were my swimming teacher. <laughs> uh, building adaptability can be really important in helping tweens navigate that transition between primary and high school, which can be tricky. We're just going through it in my household. What techniques did you and your kids use to bridge that change when you're all of a sudden you're the king of the school or the queen of the school. In grade six, the big kid, next minute, you're just the tiny little one getting pushed around and trying to find your way around a giant campus and it's scary. What kind of techniques were you using for that kind of transition with the kids? Yeah, it's really tough because I've got Paris now in year eight and some of their friends go to a different school. So she only had a few friends going to this high school that she was attending. But Paris was really strong. I think she has that little bit of character from me where she is tough and I'm glad she can be like that. But school is hard because you can change different groups when you don't know anyone. I think as a mother, I was just there for her when she came home. If she had a good day or a bad day, just listen. I didn't talk. I just listened. My advice is just keep saying that you love them and you're there for them because it's always going to change. One minute they're friends with someone, then they're not. So just be there to listen and support. Just that constant 
of you're not changing. You're always going to love that kid. Tell them every day. It's not too much. Sometimes I say to my kids, do I say this too much? And they're like, no. (laughs) No. (laughs) Love you, kids. That's I want the right. response. Love you too, Dad. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I keep going with it. I'm not stopping ever. Um, Lauren, let's have a chat about your experience as a parent. How do you know when the when it's the right time to jump in and help out or to step back and let them work it through themselves? Oh, gosh. Generally, I will let them try to work it out themselves first. I never want to assume that they don't have the skills to do anything whether it's, you know, at school with friends or at school work, anything, I let them give it a go first. And with the conversations we've had over the years, they feel comfortable enough to ask for help. If they do need it, generally they'll come straight to me. And if they ever come to me first because they're being a bit lazy, I'll be like, did you try and deal with it first yourself? If the answer's no, then they have to go and at least try or schoolwork anyway, I will generally ask what's troubling them first before I tell them to go deal with it themselves. But (laughs) I don't want to ever them to think that I don't believe in them. So that's the hard ass in me where I I want them to be able to at least try first and then come to me for help second. I know Mads will always come to me if she wants my help. And when it comes to things with friends, you know, at 10 years old, normally it's Someone said something really snarky and then, you know, the reminder is just know that there's 500 other kids in that school that will totally be your friends. I just always want to let them know that I believe in them enough that they should believe in themselves too. And sometimes that means treading water for a little bit, you know, or chucking them in the deep end. We're talking swimming here, so we yeah. might as well stick <laughs> with the thing. <laughs> so, you know, chuck them in the deep end sometimes. That's how I've learned with a lot of things and One of them being a single mum for many years was just jumping in the deep end and having to learn to swim at the same time. So I guess I do that with my kids in the most loving way possible. (laughs) So I find it a little bit scary sometimes knowing that there's going to be a fall but letting them have the fall because that's Mm -hmm. when a lesson will happen. And sometimes it's quite a literal fall if the kids are playing on a trampoline and I can see that it's just going to go wrong. There's three of them in there. They're going to headbutt each other. Do I just go and say again, guys, guys, chill. Don't do that again, please. Or do I go, oh my God, I can watch them through the kitchen window and there it is and there is the headbutt and here are the tears. But they won't do it again. So I, I find that kind of a scary thing as well. And the other time I... I find that I just step in and just do it is because it's sometimes just easier, isn't it? It's like yeah. if, if my son, you know, he's nine, he goes, Dad, I can't find any socks. I mean, it's, it can be <laughs> mundane things. And I go, oh, I'll get them for you. And I can do it in two <laughs> minutes. And if I let him do it, it's going to take 10 minutes. I may as well just do it. But then that sets up this pattern of him going, I'll just, I'll just not do anything because he's yes. nine. <laughs> you know? Yes. So I That's do so think it, it's, it can it can be scary and yeah. and, it, and it can be just easier sometimes just yeah. to go, no, no, I'll protect you the whole time. But that that's, I guess that's so <laughs> yeah. much part of the resilience training, whether it's a small thing like not finding socks or watching them headbutt each other on a mm. trampoline. <laughs> yeah. It's all the same, the same kind of lesson that we're trying to get through to them, isn't it? That's right. What are the benefits, Lauren, of letting kids sort out tricky situations themselves? Things only get easier once you've done them a million times. It's really important and it's all about habit by doing things consistently. Then you build a habit, whether it is finding their socks, (laughs) uh, which can be a giant pain in the bum, um, (laughs) 
<laughs> or, you know, this morning, Maddie just got a council rep role, which she wanted for a few years at school. And that means wearing a badge. And this morning we just got in the car, we started to drive and she's like, mom, I forgot my badge. And there are days where I'll be like, nah, deal with it. We're not going back. And this morning she's only had that role since the the start of this term. So what a week in. I drove back home and she's like, mom, I don't need it. I was like, no, you wanted that role. That role means responsibility. And part of that responsibility is wearing your badge so people know who they can go to. Mm. You've got to build a habit of wearing that badge, being proud of that role because you wanted the responsibility. So that's one thing where I was like, okay, that's why I'm doing this for you. But in the future, it is on you and I'm not going to enable you (laughs) for certain things. If you do it consistently, the kids do end up building resilience. And, you know, they know that you're not going to tell them no if they ask for help. You're always going to be there to help them. But it's I think it's all about giving them the tools to handle the situation themselves in the future with you by their side. That's a beautiful way to put it. You're going to be there by their side if they fall, but they will have to learn this eventually because this is the world. You've mm-hmm. got to do it yourself. You've got to find your own socks. You've got to find your own socks. Please find your own socks. I think it's interesting and wonderful that schools are being quite mindful these days about words like resilience and words like Mm -hmm. mental health and actually teaching that as, as part of the curriculum. But also I've heard of places doing it specifically. This is your class on resilience. I think it's a good thing that the world is recognizing Mm -hmm. that these are parts of the an education that will be really useful later in life. And I, I, th- I guess in the past, I know in my day, in my day <laughs> that was the parent's job, purely the parent's job. If they're not resilient, you lose at school. You, you'll either you'll work it out or you will suffer greatly. But these days, maybe, maybe we're heading towards a, a more positive future with that kind mm. of thing in mind and in the teachers' minds and in principals' minds as well. It's a shared responsibility. Lauren, you mentioned before that you love doing quotes at the kids. <laughs> quotes. I think you're a PT. My PT loves mm-hmm. a quote. They just love throwing quotes at me all the time and they're always quite wise, like Yoda. Oh, I want a book of my PT's quotes. It's like these beautiful, enlightening moments every few minutes from the PT. Do you use <laughs> techniques that you have as a PT, like the quotes, with your own children and does does it work with them? My usual go-to PT quote, I can be used in most things in life, but yes. when I say it out loud, it normally gets like that face like I just farted. Um, <laughs> it's that confused, like, did you just say that look? Um, so I might as well tell you guys. Uh, so it's get to the end where you think you can't keep going and do one more. So it's it's always, you know, do as many reps as you can and do one more um, more. and then do one more after that. (laughs) The last ones are where the work is done, isn't it? The last reps, those last, and that applies metaphorically in life as well. That's where the the magic bit happens. You can do all the other ones without thinking, but did you know you could get that much further? Did you know you could push yourself? You just learnt you can. Boom. Win. Well done. Yes. Lauren wins. PTs win. (laughs) Big final questions for you, for both of you. Tips for parents based on your experience to keep in mind when looking to instill mental well-being in their tweens. What are the tips that you've found along the way that 
would really be useful in these tween years, 8 to 12? I think my tip is that I try and follow is stick to a little bit of a routine, like even if you have to force them to go swimming twice a week or whatever, you're not being mean, you're giving them that safety because you're kind of getting them into a healthy thing that they're doing and it's not going to kill them two days a week. We're all feel good after exercise and reassuring them that no matter what they say to us, we love them no matter what and just feeling safe. We've got to be careful to make sure that we're that role model where we can really um, show them that life is happy, life is good, so we can keep them positive because life is hard as you get older too. That's a really great tip. Also, I think sitting here talking to two of the fittest people I've ever spoken to, that reminder (laughs) that exercise, physical exercise is actually good for your head. It's good for your mental health. pushing, (laughs) Pushing them is a good thing. We can't be too soft in our parenting these days where we go, oh, whatever makes them happy. I look back Mm. on my parents and how hard it was and they probably had to push me on some days, but I wouldn't be here feeling strong if it wasn't for that hard work. That's it. Pushing, pushing. Push. (laughs) To do some more physical exercise. I'm just going to write that one down as well because I think (laughs) I'm 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 a muso. I'm a music Uh. guy. And so when it comes to exercise, it's like, oh, would you prefer to just hang out with me and jam? (laughs) I I think I do need to get out more with the kids. and, and, And I guess be a role model of someone who exercises because, you know, and I don't do it to be buff, I do it because I feel better in my brain after I've done it. And I think I could do a bit more of that. And the routine, like you were saying, that Mm. making it just a part of life. This is what we do on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We have a swim or we go for a big walk or we have a run or whatever that is. Mm. Lock it in. Lock it in, Eddie. Lock it in. (laughs) Lauren, what about you? Tips for parents to keep in mind when looking to instill mental well-being in their tweens? (laughs) I think and I'm finding with kids at the moment is giving them that power to stand up for themselves no matter what and you know giving them the the strength and the power to know that they have the strength and the power to say no create boundaries and remove things that don't make them happy in life whether you're a kid or an adult you have the ability to create those boundaries and seeing the kids at this young age I've realized how important it is to start telling them how important that is now and making sure that they're okay being alone and without being lonely. And sometimes standing up for yourself may mean that you might need to walk away from what you might think of friends. But if something is making you feel really horrible, that it's okay to walk away. It's okay to say no And it's okay to go and ask for help to make sure that situation doesn't happen again. Bullying is so prevalent in schools, so making sure the kids have all the the tools they need to try and handle it themselves first and then give them all the ways to help them in any other way that they can without us being there at school with them is something I, I really want the kids to feel confident doing from now until they get into high school and realize that they are really, really powerful little humans and they can really do anything that they put their minds to and remove the negative stuff from around them to create that. I wish you had given me that advice in the 80s. That's so (laughs) I needed it too. (laughs) Finally, is it ever too late to start building resilience and mental well-being? 
if you if you haven't really thought about it and you've got kids who are coming into tween years, is it too late or do you just start? I love starting on a fresh new day. So every day, you know, you can start your new life. So, yeah, I've always believed in that. So I'm sure that children are better at thinking about that than us. But, yeah, every day is a new day and that's time to start. It's exciting. Lauren, thoughts? Oh, nailed it on the head. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, every new day is fresh and, and they're so young. So they have blank pieces of paper that we can fill up with lots of things that they can use in the future. So I we, totally agree. <laughs> we can fill up that blank paper with a whole lot of great quotes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, thank you so much for chatting today. Susie Maroney and Lauren Patterson, this has been an absolute pleasure. And I have gained a lot from this personally as well. So thank yeah, you so too. much for your time. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Navigating Parenthood, Growing Great Tweens. In the next episode on technology and the online universe, I'll be chatting with Dr. Kat Wallace, who's a mum of five and surrogate to one, and one of the world's most cited experts on artificial intelligence and bot strategy, as well as editorial director of online tech magazine CNET, Mark Serrells, who's the dad of a tween and an almost tween. If you haven't listened already, make sure you go back and check out the first three seasons of Navigating Parenthood. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review Navigating Parenthood. It helps us to share the love. Cheers. If the podcast makes you feel depressed or anxious and you need to talk to someone straight away, call Lifeline on 131114. And a great resource for help and support for tween kids is the Kids Helpline on 1800551800. For more information and useful parenting links, head to hcf.com.au slash podcast. I'm Dylan Lewis. I'll chat to you next time.